Ladies and gentlemen, this is America's Healthcare Advocate Show. Hello, America. Welcome to America's Healthcare Advocate Show. Separating facts from fiction. We're going to repeal it and replace it. And and it'll be great health care for much less money. We can have the benefits that were promised to them without any change whatsoever. But if we keep kicking the can down the road, keep digging the hole deeper, burying that deficit more, that's much harder to keep that kind of a commitment. Broadcasting coast to coast across the USA. Assistant's calling from Kansas City, Missouri. Marcia from Pittsburgh. My very special guest today, Grace Marie Turner, president of the Galen Institute. Welcome back, Grace Marie. Well, Carrie, it's a pleasure to be with you. And I do have to say, you are the most knowledgeable about health policy, just superlatives. And now, ladies and gentlemen, America's healthcare advocate, Carrie Hall. Hello, America. Welcome to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA here on the HIA Radio Network. 137 affiliates strong. Thanks to all of you out there. You know, my wife told me something the other day, and I always take her um, uh, comments to heart. Uh, to thank all of you who call. I've been getting a lot of calls from people wanting help with various issues regarding um, Medicare, Obamacare, uh, employer-sponsored health care. And I really enjoy talking to you on the phone So uh, and answering your emails. So, again, I want to say thank you to all of you who listen and those of you who have called. I enjoy the opportunity to interact and chat with you. By the way, if you do need help with anything regarding health insurance, the number is 877-385-2224. 877-385-2224. And the website is americashealthcareadvocate.com. You can send me an email from that website, americashealthcareadvocate.com. Or, um, you know, you can go up there. There's a lot of information up there on all those different topics um, as far as health insurance is concerned. So feel free to go up there and look at the videos, read the different blogs and information that's there. You know, we're going to do a very special show today. This is another one in our series uh, with the folks at the GAP Foundation, the Global Alzheimer's Platform. Um, and today we have a very, we're very fortunate to have a, a guest with us today, Meryl Comer, who is a New York Times, Washington Post bestselling author her book, Slow Dancing with a Stranger. She is also the president and CEO of Joffrey Bean Foundation, Alzheimer's Initiative. Uh, she is the co-founder of Women Against Alzheimer's and founding partner of the Global Alliance on Women's Brain Health. Uh, she was the recipient of the Bright Focus Public Advocacy Award, the Alzheimer Drug Discovery Foundation Great Ladies Award. She has testified before Congress on behalf of the Alzheimer's Association and worked on the national plan uh, with Congress uh, in March of 2009 regarding Alzheimer's. Comer is also co-principal investigator for the PCROI Alzheimer's Patient Caregiver Research Network in partnership with the Mayo Clinic and uh, uh, US, uh, U.S. Against Alzheimer's Network. So uh, welcome to the show, Meryl. It's great. That's a lot to get through, but I got through it. Thank uh, you, Carrie. I'm exhausted. Yeah. I don't know about you. <laughs> well, you know, we want to, you and I have been talking about this show for about three months, so I'm really excited to have you on today. Um, uh, and once again, her book, by the way, is Slow Dancing with a Stranger. It was on the New York Times bestseller list and Washington Post. And it's also available on Amazon for any of you that would like to take a look at it. Meryl's going to tell her story today, and, and she, th- this is going to be fascinating for you. She's obviously very involved. It's, she's going to talk about the 20-year battle with her husband's early onset of Alzheimer's, and I think you're going to find this fascinating. One of the things that we have not covered in these broadcasts that we have done with the GAP Foundation is what happens to the caregivers 
That's why we have Merrill Comer on here today. So once again, I want to welcome you, Merrill. And as you can tell, folks, I've cut the mental log really short on my behalf today. I want to give Merrill as much time as I can to get through this story and to talk about her involvement and the impact on, um, on caregivers. And we're going to talk about clinical trials and some other things as well. But with that, Merrill, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about how this all got started, the situation with your husband, and, and, and walk us through that story. Well, Carrie, you heard about my passion by the list of involvement I have with Alzheimer's-related advocacy, and that's because I have lived the disease for now 22 years. Uh, I care for my husband, who got early onset at the age of 57, so we have to go back 22 years of what the environment was like, and I also care for my mother, who just turned 97, Uh, with the more typical late-stage Alzheimer's uh, that comes with age. Uh, Anyone 85 or over gets the disease. Uh, 20 years ago, no one mentioned the disease, Carrie, so the environment is very different. Today, Alzheimer's is state of mind, and in fact, it's probably uh, more of concern today uh, in the latest surveys than cancer, than HIV-AIDS, But it's not the concern just of those 50-plus. It's of our children watching us take care of a spouse or our parents and seeing their future. So it is state of mind. But go back when it was hidden, never talked about, married to a, a researcher scientist at NIH, so... You know how arrogant doctors can be. <laughs> I'm married to one, right. so I can You, you, you can one. say that. I cannot say that, Merrill. You can say that. I can't. I can pick on them. Um, but he began to show signs but was in denial. And one of the key triggers that everybody needs to hear is that smart people hide out. And that's based on something that's called cognitive reserve. Their brain goes into overdrive. But it also, at that point in time, their personality begins to change. And things they used to be very good at, they can no longer do. But they hide out. Um, And as a family member, we fill in the blanks for people when they, in the conversation, or we pick up the slack, or we joke about it. But you have to pay attention to those early signs. I missed all of them because at that time nobody talked about the disease. Uh, he was a very difficult case. Go try to get a doctor to a doctor. Oh, yeah. That 22 years um, ago, doctors rarely diagnosed. It took four or five years to actually get a diagnosis. Uh, they diagnosed him with depression, uh, being stressed out, um, mad cow's disease because he had been in Europe Everything but an Alzheimer's diagnosis. That's, that was the stigma around the disease, which we hope has really changed today. And go get a, try to get a doctor to a doctor. Um, and the doctors played the game, I'm okay, you're okay, doc. Yeah. The bottom line, he was not okay. But I was closer, and I saw it. And as a doctor's wife, I typed up my observations. Bottom line... Um, He wouldn't listen to me after the doctor said, you're okay, and the doctor told me as his wife to get off his back. And I became the target for my husband. And the Odyssey uh, took us to a point where 
there was no turning back, and I actually had to rescue my husband at customs and talk my way to the front lines and get him to a doctor who would help me in the journey of finding a diagnosis. So things deteriorated fairly rapidly, obviously, and then it presented you with a huge set of problems. Let me ask you a question because we talk about, uh, you mentioned how it was a hidden disease, and it was. How much of an impact do you think Ronald Reagan coming out as he did uh, and and telling the world that he had Alzheimer's um, and, and making that very uh, uh, passionate uh, plea and, and uh, bringing that to the forefront for the sole purpose of other people understanding it's not something it should be hidden. How much of an impact do you think that had? It was tremendous. It was a tremendous step, and I give him a great deal, uh, both uh, the president and the first lady, a great deal of credit. But there is something within that. All of a sudden, you had a face attached to the disease. But to Nancy Reagan's credit, she did what all caregivers do. We try to protect the dignity of our loved one. So no one ever really saw the president <clears throat> diminished. She was protecting her husband and also protecting the legacy Absolutely. of him as president. So you never got a read on what the disease really looks like. And in this disease, many times when the social filters go down, the behaviors really look inappropriate. And those are the kinds of things that begin showing up, uh, inappropriate language, uh, actions that you would never take out in public. Uh, so it creates a very uh, frightening dynamic for the family that's trying to keep things as normal as possible knowing in the back of their mind something else is going on, but they're not sure what it is. Um, and the other challenge is that people go in and out of the situation in the early phases. Right, and so you that... You don't hit it, and then it just has a straight trajectory. Some days you have good days, and some days you have bad days, like all of us. That's right, and so... so there... It's a very tricky environment, but in those early days... My husband was finally diagnosed after being di misdiagnosed for four or five years with early onset. That tends to be genetic, although there was no history in the family. Right. And when we come we back from the break, let, let's, Meryl, when we come, we're right up on the break here. So when we come back from the break, let's get into that and talk about the genetics and why that's important, as you talked about in your opening comments, for the children and grandchildren of people who have Alzheimer's disease. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate broadcasting here on the HIA Radio Network. We'll be right back after the break with my special guest, Meryl Comer, who is the author of Dancing with the Strangers. Stay tuned. We're going to be right back after the break with more. Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA here on the HIE Radio Network. Our website is americashealthcareadvocate.com. If you've got a question or a comment, send me an email. I'll be happy to chat with you. Our producer, the always perfect Mr. J.P. Pauley. I'm your host, Kerry Hall. Our guest today is Meryl Comer, author of the New York Times bestseller, Slow Dancing with a Stranger. Um, she, she is 
intimately involved in the in the Alzheimer's issue. She's a caregiver. Uh, she, she's been involved in this issue for a lot of years, and we're very fortunate to have her on the air with us today. MemoryStrings.org, this is one of our continuing broadcasts um, for the GAP Foundation. MemoryStrings.org is the website you want to go to if you're interested in a clinical trial, if you're interested in getting information. That website has everything you may need to know. There, It also shows 52 different facilities around the country that are doing clinical trials. And we're going to talk to Merrill about that in, in one of the upcoming segments. But th- remember what uh, John Dwyer uh, says from, uh, from, from uh, the GAP Foundation. The first person cured Alzheimer's will be in a trial. So if someone in your family has got this issue or you want to know, as you just heard Merrill talk about, people hiding in plain sight because they don't want to admit they've got a problem or they don't want to deal with the problem. All right, memorystrings.org. That's the website where you can get information on how to evaluate it, where the clinical trials are, and what you can do, memorystrings.org. All right, Merrill, let's go back now. Okay, so now you're, you clearly know he's got Alzheimer's, all right? Now, you, you know, you're in a situation where you've got to take action now to deal with this. He's, he, he's probably, you know, acting out in public. You've made, there may be some, some aggressive behavior here. These are typical things that I've seen with people that have Alzheimer's. So how did you deal with this, and where did it go from here? Well, the first thing the doctors say is call 911 if your loved one gets too dangerous. Well, that's not so easy to do. Well, that doesn't sound like such a good idea. Yeah, I mean, um, first of all, you are trying to keep things as normal as possible and help a loved one. The bottom line was that after two and a half months of being assessed in a lockdown ward, I was told he was too dangerous to come home, and no no facility would take us. He was too young, too strong, um, even if I got coverage, and... You know, uh, for those on the Alzheimer's journey with a loved one, if they get sick or they're aggressive, no facility will keep them. Right. And they don't have to, by the way. No. Because most of it is private pay. Right. And that's when the whole cost issue came crashing up uh, against us. But I left my career to take care of my husband. I was 48 years old. Uh, again, two adults in their prime out of work. Wow. And I'm trying to fix the situation. Now, I'm told he's too dangerous to come home, but I literally, and that's where I got the title, Slow Dancing with a Stranger, danced around a man who would become violent suddenly and tried to do the best I can. Uh, now, many people make a decision, and, and usually the trigger for people being institutionalized is when a loved one becomes dangerous or too aggressive, uh, their children in the house, so there is an endangerment issue, and they say, I can't do it anymore. And anyone who has taken care of a loved one with Alzheimer's understands when somebody makes that decision. Absolutely. Um, But again, it's in these facilities, and I'm not just talking about a man, a strong man in a facility. I'm talking about little old ladies uh, who become very aggressive themselves in this disease because there is that fight or flight 
element to it, and you'll see it, and then all of a sudden they'll become sweet again. But it's those moments that are the triggers for institutionalization. So what did and you, the intensity of care? Right. So what did you do? How did you cope with this? Because obviously, you know, they're not going to they're not going to keep him. Now you're you've got him at home. How did you deal with this? Oh, I set up. I went to Smith and Hawkins Garden, bought garden gates, and hit you know, set them up so I could sort of create parameters where he might walk. I walked him six miles for a sundowning issue because confusion gets worse in the evenings. I actually put up those big mirrors where you can see around corners because I didn't want to be fixing dinner and have him come up behind me suddenly because I, you never knew what was going to happen. So I was what I, what I would call... And what the scientists now look at is hypervigilant. It's not unlike our men and women at war, where you are constantly vigilant mm-hmm. about your parameters. Yeah. Whatever is going on around the perimeter around you, you are paying attention. I've... And it's that intensity of care. And again, trying to give a loved one dignity, helping them. Uh, no one wants to take away anyone's independence. But again, when they are in denial about their situation or they don't understand their situation, you are negotiating in their space. And my best advice to everyone, my husband would ask the same question over and over again, and I would always answer it as if it was the first time I heard it, because why fight? You have to live in their reality if you're going to survive. So (laughs) that was one strategy I learned the hard way. The other thing, Carrie, and I can't stress this enough, you must anticipate I took the car away from my husband. Now go take a sports car away from a 58-year-old man. But I did not want his independence endangering another human being. Absolutely. Yeah, there, it seems like there are an awful lot of moving parts. Obviously, um, this was not an easy situation, um, and, and, and it must have continued. Obviously, it's continued on for, for quite a while uh, in, in terms of his life and yours, but it totally turned your life upside down. And I think that's one of the things that, that you know, and, and we come back in the next segment here in a couple minutes, we'll get into it in more detail. But the, the issue here for me, as we talked in the opening segment, is the effect on, I mean, it literally stopped your life in its tracks um, and, and you had to deal with all these issues at the same time. So you were in a constant crisis mode, it sounds like. Well, family comes first and you move from crisis to crisis. And it was not until I looked back or wrote the book that I took the time to pay attention to the fact. And what really upset me is that 22 years later, nothing had changed. No better care options, no disease-modifying therapy, and the average age of the caregiver today is 49 years of age. Wow. And having to leave their own career. So you're talking about, about a huge societal issue. Yeah, it is. As well, that people are not paying attention to. Yeah, and, and it's unfortunate, but it is absolutely true. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, the website, if you want information about, number one, do you, you know, is someone in your family dealing with this issue? Do you think there's an issue? How do I get evaluated? What do I do? You heard Meryl talk about the fact that she had to go through several physicians to finally get to a point where somebody admitted this is what he had. MemoryStrings.org, there's a lot of information up there that's extremely helpful. Also, 
if someone in your family has this issue, and we've had people in the trials on this broadcast talk to you about what that's like. There are a host of trials out there. The, the website, again, is memorystrings.org, memorystrings.org, if you want more information about where those trials are conducted at 54 different uh, facilities around the country. Here in Kansas City, actually, at KU Medical Center. So right here in Kansas City at KU Medical Center. We'll be right back after the break. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate broadcasting on the HIA Radio Network. Stay tuned. We'll be back. Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting here on the HIA Radio Network. You can find out more about us by going to our website, americashealthcareadvocate.com. If you have questions, you want to send me an email about health insurance issues, feel free to do that. Our producer, Mr. J.P. Pauley, I'm your host, Carrie Hall. We're going to continue this fascinating conversation with Meryl Comer. She is the best-selling author of Slow Dancing with a Stranger, uh, the story of her 20-year uh, uh, a journey uh, with Alzheimer's, her husband's Alzheimer's. Um, she's also involved in a myriad of organizations and has testified in front of Congress and, and a number of other people about this whole issue and, and the epidemic we have in this country. The website, if you want information on Alzheimer's, if you want to know about a trial, and we're going to talk about trials in this segment, if you want to know about a trial, where there are trials going on, um, as I said earlier, and I will keep repeating this, the first person cured of Alzheimer's will be in a clinical trial. So the website, memorystrings.org. There's also a ton of information up there about how to recognize if someone in your family's got this. You heard Merrill say in that opening segment, hiding in plain sight. I mean, really, that's what it amounts to. Um, people do things because they, 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 they compensate. They don't want to admit it. And if they, if they think they've got the issue, oftentimes um, they're hiding it because they don't want you to know about it. So going to the website, memorystring.org, will help you a lot uh, in terms of understanding the disease, how to recognize it, and what you can do if, in fact, someone has it. So, Merrill, let's get right to this because I think this is critical in the broadcast. Talk about trials, the value of clinical trials, and why they are so critically important now if we're ever going to find a cure to this disease. Meryl? Well, they're more important than ever, uh, and it's incumbent upon all of us. If you've seen the disease up close, you are changed forever, and you want to help another family. You want to make sure your grandchildren never have this disease. And the call right now for clinical trials is we are looking in the prevention space. We know the disease starts 10 to 15 years earlier before first symptoms, which means we have to get ahead of it. So who are we asking to raise their hand? It's too late for my husband. It's too late for my mother, but it's not too late for me. And I would do anything to make a difference and to accelerate trials because we need a disease-modifying therapy. Give us five more years. Give us two years of quality of life. My husband doesn't know we have grandchildren. We have five grandchildren. You miss the moments in life, and that to me is why I would do anything. And the top doctors are engaged with the Global Alzheimer's Platform. Everyone understands that we have to move faster, but I don't think the public understands that we're holding up part of the progress because the recruitment for trials is critical. And we also have to understand that they're looking for a very specific 
types of patients. So you've got to raise your hand and understand that it may not be the exact trial for you, but there are other studies out there where you can participate and contribute. I just think it, it is both empowering because, I'll be very honest, the heartbreak for me is after 22 years of doing whatever I can, the best I can, trying everything, the disease is going to win. Yeah. So and I'm that... going to fight it outside my house. I'm going to fight it where I can speak out to Congress, where I can help other women, because it also happens to be the biggest women's issue since breast cancer. We outlive men statistically. We're more prone to get it, and they're just beginning to look at the sex-based differences, and we're two-thirds the caregivers. Yeah, and that and that 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 in and of itself uh, is something I don't think a lot of people recognize that, that women are two thirds the caregivers. Uh, you know, you made you made a comment there, and I want to go back to this: disease is going to win. The only way we're going to stop the disease from winning, Merrill, is getting people involved in these trials. And right now. You know, our trials are taking much longer than they should because we can't get enough people to participate in the trials. Am I correct about that? There's no question. And the funnel has to be big. So it means that we all should be raising our hands. I'll admit to being over 50, Carrie, if you will. <laughs> I'm 68. Everybody <laughs> okay. listens to this radio show. No, well, you're no. Just- you're a kid. Yeah, I'm, kid. I'm, I'm chronologically challenged, trust me. So, I've, you know, everybody in this radio show knows my age. I make no, I, I don't hide that from anybody. But, yeah, yeah, you know. We'll all hang out with you, but then. There you go. We're the ones they want. Yes. Okay? They want us all to raise our hands and step forward. And we are saying this is about our future, our kids, and the faster we raise our hand the better shot we get at getting a disease-modifying therapy. Yeah, and, you know, you said, this is interesting, that, that comment you made a minute ago about your husband never is never going to know his grandchildren. He's got five grandchildren. Um, you, you know, th- that's, the, it, that's the tragedy of this thing, what it, what it takes away from people's lives. They're here physically, but mentally they're in a completely different place. And so what happens is you lose all of that. And, and it's only by getting people involved in this program, going to the website, memorystrings.org. That's the best place to go. If you want to learn anything about this, if people will get involved in these trials and we can speed this process up, um, we're, we're going to find a cure for this, but it's, but it takes people volunteering, as you just said, um, and, and becoming a part of the process. And you're actually part of the process. Am I right? I am. I sign up for a a trial that really looks at everything that I'm doing that looks at modifying risk attached to the disease. So they're looking at exercise. I go in for cognitive testing every six months. Uh, it just, it's almost like a wake-up call. It's, it, it, it makes me focus on things differently, and I'm doing the best I can. Uh, and I think that's, imp- I find that empowering. I also went and had my genetic screen done. I was more concerned that I was going to drop dead of a heart attack because of the intensity of care. Uh, but I did find that I have one of the alleles. It just makes you pay attention and want to get close to the research and be part of it. Because, again, you made the comment uh, of President John Dwyer of GAP saying that the first person to be cured will be in a clinical trial. And it's also an environment where you are going to get the best of care and the focus. 
And I think that, to me, is important. And you feel part of the team. Uh, you know, as a caregiver, I'm also looking to help make sure that we are also data collectors and we become partners with researchers because you need a proactive caregiver to help a loved one who is in the early stages of the disease not only sign up, but stay in the trial. We've got, you know, once you sign up, it is a commitment, but it's a commitment that the value at the back end, I, I mean, it's a legacy. And our generation, our baby boom generation, we can be transformational. Look yeah. what we've done. And we ought to take this one on because we don't want to burden our our, our grandchildren and our children going forward. No, um, and, you know, that's interesting you just said because we, when we've had people here in this studio and we've had them in who've actually been in the trials, been diagnosed with early Alzheimer's, they have talked about, in fact, one of the gentlemen was on here, I think he has like 14 or 15 grandchildren. He's participating in a trial at KU. And he and, and when, when I asked him about it, he said the reason is because I've got children and grandchildren that are genetically at risk for this disease, and I'm going to do everything I can uh, to make sure that they have the best chance they could possibly have. He also talked about something that you just said, and that was the best care and, and how great the people were that he was able to work with, is able to work with. He's still in the trials at KU. So it, you're, all those things I think are critically important. We're, we're coming on the break here in about a minute, but I want to ask you one other thing. It's important for people to understand because you said it. These trials are not just uh, drug trials. They are all kinds of other trials out there for people uh, to participate in. Am I right about that? No question. We are also we're moving into a space where we are not only looking at therapies, but we are looking at studies in the prevention space. And it's really modifiable risk because, Carrie, let's be honest, we are all at risk. At age 50 plus, we are all at risk for this disease. And unless we start thinking of ourselves that way and pay attention that we can change the future together, but we have to step up to this disease. You're absolutely uh, right. And I think that's the message we need to take away, folks. And, and, and what Merrill just said, this generation, the baby boom generation, we've got an opportunity here to make a huge impact in this. And it's an opportunity we should take advantage of. The website for you to get that information, to get engaged, to find, hey, do you want to know if you've got an issue? Do you want to know if somebody in your family has an issue? Go to the website, memorystrings.org. If, in fact, you are, you know, you have been diagnosed, you have the issue, there are trials all over this country going on. You heard Merrill just talk about it. They're not just drug trials. Yes, there are drug trials and lots of them, but there are all kinds of other trials that are going on, all kinds of other things that can be beneficial, and they are great people that are working on this. So the website, once again, is memorystrings.org, memorystrings.org. If you want information, go up there. They'll be happy uh, to connect with you and help you in any way that I can. They can, rather. I'll be back after the break. We'll wrap it up with our last segment, our special guest, Merrill Comer, um, author of Slow Dancing with a Stranger. By the way, that is available on Amazon. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after the break.
Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA here on the HIE Radio Network. My producer, Mr. J.P. Pauley. I'm your host, Carrie Hall. This show is about Alzheimer's. It's one of our continuing segments or shows rather from the with the Gap Foundation and our partnership to make you aware of what's going on in Alzheimer's now. How serious is this disease? It's an epidemic. What's being done? What, what can you do to get involved? We've got a very special guest with us today. Uh, Meryl Comer, author of Slow Dancing with a Stranger and a 22-year caregiver um, uh, who who participates in these trials herself. Her husband and her mother uh, both have this disease. If you want information, if you want to understand whether you're at risk, uh, if you want to understand, you know, if if you've been diagnosed, you've got early uh, Alzheimer's or any of these issues, memorystrings.org is the website. There are trials going on in 54 different facilities around the country that you can get involved in. The people are fantastic that are doing these trials, the doctors, the clinicians, all of them. It's an opportunity for you to get involved. As I've said many times before, and I'm sure I'll say it many times again, the first person cured of Alzheimer's will be in a clinical trial. All right, Meryl, um, let, let, first, let's let you just a quick shout out to the to the people that are, you know, in the, the, these these clinicians and these doctors. We've had Dr. Burns on from KU. They're incredibly dedicated. I'm sure that's what you've found as well. You are lucky to be in Kansas City because that will be the modeling or is the modeling for the nation on how we accelerate clinical trials with the type of engagement. You know, many times uh, clinicians are reluctant to diagnose because they have nothing with which to treat. It creates tremendous trauma for the families. In Kansas City, you're already bridging that, working with the physician community. Everyone in the community is working together, and that's a model that hasn't happened before and was really triggered uh, through the Global Alzheimer's Platform Initiative. So I really think that the doctors come from all over the country. They're the tops working with local docs. Um, they're the visionaries. They live it. And I'll be very honest. If you scratch the surface of their lives, they're probably fighting for a loved one who had the disease as well. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting that you said global. You know, the folks at Global Alzheimer's Platform have probably done more to get this out in terms of the necessity of these clinical trials and the delays that are being caused because we don't have enough people in these trials. And, and, and that's been a great message, you know, by having the Dr. Burns on from KU, who's an amazing man, incredibly dedicated to what he does. Um, you know, the people that have come on here and talked about the trials they're involved in, um, all of that coming, the scientists that have been on this broadcast that have talked about the breakthroughs and, and, and how, you know, the pharmaceutical companies continue uh, to push forward to try and find a cure for this disease and, interestingly enough, are sharing the information from their failed trials. That's one of the things that we talked about in one of the previous broadcasts that with one of the scientists that was on, that they are actually sharing that information, Meryl, which is kind of amazing. Yeah, I'll carry the other point is if somebody raises their hand and steps forward and the particular trial isn't right for them, that doesn't mean they should give up. They're armed with new information about themselves, and there is another trial out there they may be right for. So don't let anybody get discouraged, and that's why Memory Strings keeps that thread going so that people can connect to maybe the next trial is the right trial for them. 
Yeah, and so they, people should not give up on that. No, you're absolutely right. And and the other thing I think I want to reemphasize, and I think it's important for people to understand this, is we are not just talking about drug trials. You know, there are all kinds of trials involving exercise, um, memory issues, um, a host of things, Meryl, that go on out there. Yeah, uh, well, let me let me just make one point about that because, you know, my husband maintained his brain. He was a long distance runner. He spoke three languages. You know, he was trim and fit. It didn't matter. So with all these studies that are very valuable and important because they help in modifying risk, there is, we have to find a disease-modifying therapy. Right. Right now we are doing the best we can to stay ahead before the research catches up. But that doesn't mean that we're, not, we're, we're protected from getting the disease. We can't kid ourselves that there's an easy fix. We really need to continue with the research. We can't undermine the research impetus because that's going to give us the kind of uh, therapies that we're going to need for uh, to get this off the table for our our grandkids. So. Yeah, and that's 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 really what it kind of comes down to, isn't it? That it that, you know there's got we've come close. I mean, some of the other you know some of the, of the pharmaceutical companies have had various uh, drugs that they thought were close and they failed in trials. I know there's been at least three in the last year that have come out from various Mer- uh, Merck and a number of other uh, pharmaceutical companies that got close. I, I guess I'm encouraged, and I was encouraged when Dr. Burns talked about it, and when we had uh, some of the scientists on that talked about the fact that this information is being shared uh, in the pharmaceutical community, and they are pushing forward. But as you as you said, the most important thing here that people can take away from this broadcast is they need to step up just like you said, Merrill, and get involved um, and participate in these trials. And the baby boomer generation, our generation, is the one that needs to lead the way on this. No question. And that, that, and so, ladies and gentlemen, with that, um, we're going to wrap it up today. I want to thank you, Merrill Comer, for doing this. Uh, it was great having you on to tell the story and talk about, uh, you know, what you're doing to make a change and what other folks can do to make a change. Her book is Slow Dancing with a Stranger, Slow Dancing with a Stranger. That's available on Amazon.com if you want to read the book, by the way. Uh, and the whole story uh, is in that book. So once again, Merrill, thank you very much uh, for being here today uh, and, and getting this message out to our audience and everyone that was listening to the show. Thank you, Carrie. We're signing up together. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm good with that. I have no problem with that. Take care. Thank you very much. So ladies and gentlemen, you know, as I close it out today, you know, I'm I'm appealing to you to do something that's going to be in your best interest and the best interest of your children, the best interest of your grandchildren. This is a serious disease. My mother had this disease. I've never talked about this on the air before, but she did. And I watched her deteriorate over a period of time. She was in a facility, uh, you know, it, it was very, very difficult. You can go to the website, memorystrings.org. You can make a difference. You can also help yourself. And don't do this. Don't do the I don't want to know thing because the I don't want to know thing is dumb. Okay. If you've got the issue, there are things that can be done to improve your life as you're dealing with this. You're going to find that out by going to memorystrings.org. That's the website. There's a ton of information up there. I urge you to go to the website, 
read information that's up there on how to recognize symptoms, what the trials are, where they are, 54 facilities around the country that you can get involved in. Here in Kansas City at KU Medical Center, there's plenty of information there about how you get involved at KU. And now, ladies and gentlemen, I leave you with this thought from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Americans must learn to live together as brothers and sisters, or we will certainly perish together as fools. Thank you for listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting here on the HIA Radio Network, coast to coast across the USA. Goodbye, America. 